Welcome to the Farcast, bringing you insights into Wall Street, Washington, and the world. And now here's your host, Michael Farr. Welcome to the Farcast. I am Michael Farr. Thanks so much for joining us this week. It is the 30th day of November. We're going to start, folks, tomorrow. Tomorrow is December 1st. No 31st, no no, no November 31st. All of these months that don't have a 31st mess me up in here. But so uh, 30th of November and wow, it's been a great year. It's been a great year for stocks. Uh, it's uh, not been a bad year for bonds. We've had a big rally in the bond market. Interest rates are coming down. We had a great GDP print. Well, GDP print, it means the economy's growing. It was growing over 5% in the third quarter. And while estimates are only like 2% or 2.1% for the fourth quarter, overall, folks, that ain't bad. And, a uh, you know, you've got a 10-year Treasury in here of 429 this morning, 4.29% below 4.3%. It was above 5%. Just a couple of months ago, eight, nine weeks ago, we were above 5%. So, uh, this is this is not bad for investors. It's not bad for stocks. You know who it's bad for? It's bad for the bears. If you've been bearish, if you've been cautious, it's been bear bad for you. The other folks it's been bad uh, for are the folks who just invested in uh, those, I guess, more defensive stocks, uh, being cautious for the year, who didn't own the Magnificent Seven. They've been left uh, by the road. I think the uh, equal rated S&P 500 is only up single digits, somewhere around 5 6% at this point for the year. 5 6% is not awful, not awful, but it sure as hell isn't 20%, which is what the S&P is up now. So oil uh, has been up and down, but in that 75 to $80 range is where we've been there. Gold has been going higher. The dollar has been falling. That matters too. Crypto has been a little bit stronger. But before we open here this morning, we're seeing futures up. Big. Another another big day uh, for the futures. Dow futures up over a half a percent. NASDAQ up three-tenths. We'll see where it all goes as we enter this final month of 2023. Is Santa Claus rally going to continue? Maybe. Before we get to our guests, and we are going to start with our wonderful friend, Kenny Polcari, this morning. Uh, so that's always a treat. And then Mahaffey on politics, of course, coming up. But before we get there, we want to make sure that we note and take a moment for the uh, passings of Secretary of State Henry Kissinger, age 100, Charlie Munger, age 99, and Rosalind Carter, age 93. These were all great figures in history. I believe you'll read about them in books uh, hundreds of years from now. There will still be mentions, certainly of a first lady. Charlie Munger has a place in investing history that is really unrivaled by anybody other than Warren Buffett. Um, and uh, Henry Kissinger, what a great figure in history. And it's not all a, a, a necessarily a positive uh, history for Mr. Kissinger. He was often very criticized, and he was criticized for his handling the war in Vietnam. It, he he spun things very very well. I knew um, uh, I knew Secretary Kissinger 
um, somewhat well. I was with him on any number of occasions and had, I don't know, a dozen different conversations with him at various points, one-on-one. He was a charming, charming man. He was very bright. He had a wicked sense of humor. Uh, He was really fun to be around. Uh, And he would always, he would always poke the bear. Uh, He was very courageous. And he would say uh, just enough to see if he could get a rise out of you. So uh, we're grateful to uh, the contributions uh, that those folks made. All right. Coming into the end of the year now and mindful that we need to be make sure that we're talking about things other than the Federal Reserve and investing this week. Uh, Kenny, what are we yes. thinking about the year 11 months here <clears throat> that no one expected? Listen, I, I, it's been it's been an amazing year when you think about it. Right. Because you're right. At the beginning of the year, there was lots of concerns. Where were we going? What the Fed was going to do? What was going to happen to inflation? All these concerns, which have proven to be um which have proven have not really come true. The Fed has managed to, at least the narrative is that they've managed to uh, navigate this soft landing. We're not completely sure yet, but it looks certainly better than it did at the beginning of the year. Um, And we've got uh, costs coming down. You have oil coming down. uh, And so you have stocks that have gone crazy. We have artificial intelligence, which has taken over the conversation this year. And to your point, um, the Magnificent Seven, which is all about no matter what you say, all of them are about artificial intelligence. The truth is, most of the market is about artificial intelligence because you'll find it in every sector. But one way or the other, yes. the Magnificent Seven have just rocketed higher. And to your point, people that were uh, that had stepped aside and didn't jump on that on that bandwagon are lagging where the market has been. And the people that did are, are celebrating <clears throat> are celebrating the moves. Let's talk um, about that for a second. And let's talk about this as investors, Kenny. When, I, when I'm when i looking at the market right now, this Magnificent Seven and everything that has anything to do with AI is up. And right. it's sexy and it's exciting. It, right. And you think, okay, the world's changing and I need to own a chatbot, GPT, open AI, something or other with a newfangled .com twist. We, we've been through these things before where you had to own the dot-coms, you had to own the this, you had to own the... But, and we say those dangerous words. It does feel a little different this time with this stuff because this stuff continues to evolve. This is not just a new iPhone. Correct. This is not, right? This is not just earbuds that have noise-canceling stuff and we've got to wait for the next one. This stuff develops itself, uh, but you have to pay a high price. And... We're sick of all of those boring things that are way down. If you don't have a GLP-1 drug, those are the obesity drugs, folks. And those obesity drugs that go to that craving center of your brain, craving center of your brain. So the, the those diet drugs work on your brain. Uh, they make you feel full, but they get rid of cravings. So they're also testing these GLP-1 drugs on addictions in mice and rats. And they're making headways with alcoholism. They're making headways uh, in cocaine usage. Rats will take less cocaine and will cut back on it. They just don't have an appetite for it. It's amazing. And the weight loss then gets rid of these other comorbidities. So many of them, people stop taking blood pressure medication. They stop taking uh, their type 2 diabetes drugs. All of these things are making people healthier. And then you look at those pharmaceuticals that don't have them that are trading at eight and time, nine times earnings. And you think, well, wait a minute, is that going to last forever? Is this when it's supposed to be so cheap and everybody hates them? 
we're just talking about an industry group and using this as an example, ladies and gentlemen, but eight or nine times earnings when you've got these other stocks trading at 80 times earnings. Kenny, what do you think? I, I think you, you hit a lot of nails on the head there, right? Because it's all very exciting. All those drug names have been very exciting. The AI names have been very exciting and they continue to get more exciting. But look, AI is different, I think, right? And I hate to say it's different this time, just like you alluded to, um, but I think this time it really is different. You've seen massive, massive moves in what AI can do. Look what happened last night with with uh, Salesforce and uh, and Snowflake, right? Their earnings smashed, exploded through everything. Those stocks are moving significantly higher this morning. And if you look at it, the story is the same. It's about how they're using AI to change their businesses, to change how their customers, how they interact with their customers and how their clients interact with their clients because of it. And so I do think that this time it's a little bit different. Do I think that, you know, it's a little bit stretchy? Does it feel a little bit stretchy? It does, which is why I would say you're in it. Hang on, you're participating. I wouldn't go chasing those things, but I think it's a real story. And I think it's a story that's going to play into 2024 and beyond. And so I think that is a part of a, a part of the the investing landscape that people have to have some exposure to. I talked about I talked to a uh, guy who's a CEO of a big utility in the Northeast, and those stocks, as you know, as a sector, are down. Utility stocks are down as rates went up. Utility stocks came down. A lot of them are down significantly this year. I'm coming up with another sort of an example. Uh, we could talk about the banks as easily, though they've lifted off a bit here off the bottom here lately, rate sensitive stocks. Uh, I mentioned uh, some of the pharmaceutical and drug stops that don't have the GLP one. But I, I talked to this guy and I said, um, look, your, your stocks are down uh, the, here. I gave him the example of one that was down 30, 35 percent. I said, time to buy those or no? He said uh, uh, he's got this thick Boston accent. You you could probably understand. Him, but I was, <laughs> I was I was struggling, you know, he's talk, he talks about the car and have it yacht. He says, so he says, I'll ask you a question. And the question is, what are interest rates going to do? I said, interest rates, I think are going to stay. I think they're going to stay persistently high. He says, then there's no reason to buy the utilities. Right. Unless the interest rates are coming down, there's no historical reason to buy the utilities. Uh, so I, I said, but they don't get cheap enough. I mean, they get cheap enough with a dividend. Unless interest rates are coming down, there's no reason to buy utilities. He repeated it to me. So right. where, where, think about the banks. Think about these other things. Should investors who are listening to us be thinking about these other companies while the rest of the world is focused on the well, AI darlings? I think you have to think about the other companies because that comes right down to having a diversified portfolio. Otherwise, you're going to be overweight in one sector, in one name. And if the and if the market turns, you're going to get slammed. So I think you have that conversation is very real. And a diversified portfolio is very real. And by the way, utilities, which are down 18%, probably over the summertime, are now only down 11%, right? They have rallied back six or 7% on this idea that rates have at least stopped going up. Uh, while I don't think they're coming down, I think they've stopped going up. So look, there was an opportunity in utilities. People that jumped in, you know, two or three months ago have seen uh, those investments pay off. And so that goes right to that diversification conversation. So yes, I think you have to have it. I think you have to understand where it is in the cycle and then allocate appropriately. But I absolutely think, um, because utilities is a name, you know, it's a group that I own. Was it comfortable when it was down 18%? No. But did I buy some more when it was really low and I'm, and I'm enjoying the benefits now? Yes. 
But I think that goes into good diversification and good planning. Kenny, we're at that time of year where uh, you sit, you look at your portfolio, you say, well, maybe I'm going to book some losses. Yeah. I look to book losses always before I look to take gains. I really don't care about taking gains right. as an investor. I, I just don't care about taking gains. I'll let my gains run. Right. I've made more money letting gains run than I have uh, trimming stuff just because I thought I was being you know, intellectually uh, smart and clever saying, well, this has now reached a certain limit. When stuff's working and yeah. you've got a good company, uh, I've made a lot more money over time hanging on to the damn thing than I have trying to get too cute with it. But but I think it is a time to say, have my stocks gotten to be more of a weighting in my portfolio than they should have? If I'm 70, 30 and I've had a 20% year in the S&P and now I'm at 84, 16 or whatever, right. the then, then yes. You want to talk to your financial advisor and you want to rebalance because you don't want to let risk sneak into your portfolio. Okay, I, but you see, so there's the but there's the argument. There's the argument about why um why there are some asset managers or investors that are selling some of these high profile names, not because they don't like them, but because they need to rebalance because they've taken on a bigger position and create more risk for them. So you always have to look for reasons. Why, why are some people, these names are great. Why aren't you selling it? Or why are you selling it? Well, because it's, you have to rebalance it, right? So it makes perfect sense. Doesn't mean you're negative on the name. Just means you need to balance your risk. It's good planning. Look, as a financial advisor, my, my goal is to make sure that I can do everything I can to achieve my client's goals at using the least amount of risk necessary. Exactly. I am a risk manager first, I think, an investment manager second. Right. Hell, anybody can invest. But judging the risk where it really takes judgment and insight and experience, I think there's a whole lot of value there. Okay, uh, finally, I'm going to get to the jet. We're, we're, we're over time already, but Kenny, uh, is the economy good or not? I've got a couple of simple questions. So, listen, it's amazing to me. I think the economy is good. I think that we're not in this recession at the moment. I think this idea that, you know, they're pounding the table. The Fed has to cut rates. Oh, my God, they have to cut. Five percent rates are historically normal. The market can function in a five percent rate environment. If 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 the Fed it is functioning, down, it's functioning. It is functioning exactly right. Rate. Exactly right. Look at this. GDP came in at five point two percent for the third quarter after the second revision. Fourth quarter is expected to be two point one. Still a healthy growth rate for the United States and the size that we are. Right. So I don't see all this panic. These people screaming that the Fed has to cut rates. The Fed doesn't have to do anything. And quite honestly, I'm hoping they don't because what will that do? If they cut rates, it will stimulate the economy. Do we really need to be stimulated? I don't no, think no, no, if you're growing at five percent, no, inflation is coming down, right? Infl right. Inflation is coming down, GDP is growing, and employment is full. Right. I Correct. think if you're chairman of the Fed who's got a full employment and price stability thing. You're going to start to feel pretty good about yourself when you go to sleep tonight, aren't you? I would think you are. And that's why it's it's uh, it's frustrating to me every time you turn around is that they're calling, you know, the, the, the market's pricing in cuts by March now. And I'm sitting there scratching my head saying, listen, you got to be careful what you wish for, because if the Fed is cutting in March when they're not even sure they're done raising in November, no, then you're going to think then you're going to think this economy is going down the drain very quickly, which which is not where I think we're going. Um but I think that that's the story that you got to focus on. So do I think the economy is in a bad place? I don't. 
But um, we could be having we could have a little bit of a slowdown in the beginning correct. of the year here. But a slowdown that's right. But a slowdown is not going off the not going off the rails, right? Right. And I don't think we're gonna go off the rails. I actually think now, while I don't think it's gonna be a soft, soft landing, I don't think it's gonna be the crash landing that I thought it was going to be months ago. So I will give I will give credit to the Fed saying, you know, maybe, maybe it's right. You know, they took us to five percent, which is five and a quarter percent, which is historically normal. Um, and so I I think it's okay. So if Jay Powell can feel good at this point after everything he's been through. And I think Jay Powell could feel good at this point. Let me tell you who should feel bad right now. Let me tell you who should be looking for a job right now. And that's Joe Biden's PR department. If you can't sell this economy, you shouldn't. I mean, you can't sell ice water in hell. Uh, you're, you've got you've done the worst job anywhere for anybody. You've right. got 5.2% GDP right. growth. Right. You've got full employment. You've got inflation coming down. Right. And you can't get this guy elected dog catcher versus Donald Trump or anybody. I mean, come on, sell right. it. That's your job. you got to get out there and sell it. I think that person gets fired fast. That's just stupid. We're going to talk to Mahaffey about that. Hey, Polkari, you're the best. Farcast loves you. We're coming in. We'll get you back, of course, before year end. And Thank you. We're going to have more advice for Fred and Ethel as they come into year end here uh, at the end of 2023. Kenny Polcari is CEO of Case Capital Advisors and the chief market strategist for Slatestone. Kenny, thanks. Michael, thanks. It's always a pleasure. Pleasure's ours. Coming up, Dan Mahaffey from the Center for the Study of the Presidency and Congress and our senior political analyst on the forecast. Please stay with us. Thank you for joining us this week on the Farcast. Now it's time for political analyst Dan Mahaffey and your host, Michael Farr. Welcome back to the Farcast. I'm Michael Farr. Joining me now, Dan Mahaffey, as he does every week from the Center for the Study of the Presidency and Congress, our senior political analyst on the Farcast. Welcome back, Mr. Mahaffey. Good morning, Michael. Great to be talking to you. We're very glad you're here. You know, uh, got a lot of good feedback uh, on the misperceptions uh, last week, our misperceptions discussion, misinformation and misperceptions. Who had it wrong? What? Why were we having all of these problems? And I'd like to kind of continue there this week. I certainly want to talk about Israel this week again. I want to talk about what's going on in the Ukraine. But we got a number this week. We got a 5.2% GDP growth. Gross domestic product in the United States grew at 5.2% in the third quarter. That was well below, well above the rate of inflation. So it was real positive growth, real positive growth. The U.S. economy is doing well, unless you ask any American who tells you that it's not. As I said at the end of my segment with Kenny Polcari, I think whoever the hell is doing PR at the White House should be, you know, uh, serving fries at some fast food place about as quickly as they can. They've got no business in the job that they're in because they stink at doing what they're doing. Uh, you know, and I was thinking too about Saudi Arabia, Dan, they're trying to limit, uh, not only limit oil production so that they can keep the price high, they're creating straw men around the world. We've learned this week, straw men buyers in different countries to bid oil up, um, uh, many of which don't exist. And so here we are producing more oil 
than we did under Donald Trump. Under, under Joe Biden right now, we're producing more oil uh, than we ever have in history and more than Donald Trump. And this big environmental president, I guess can't crow about it too much, but the U.S. is doing great on energy and the economy's doing great and everybody thinks things stink. Why, Dan? Uh, thanks, Michael. Yeah, a lot of good questions to unpack there. I'll first get to the, again, the uh, economy, that sense of, uh, well, look, I've heard people call it a vibe session. Uh, that the Vibe feel- session. What's a vibe session? The feelings and sentiments are what's down, not the actual economic numbers. And and you you chart this out. I think one thing is interesting, and I, I see this in the focus groups that we speak with. If you ask people to to set aside politics and prices, so your your perceptions of the president or your concerns about inflation, and I know those are two big ifs. But then you ask folks, well, what are your feelings about the economy. And it's a a major sense of, well, things just aren't as good as they used to be, or as good as I remember them being. And and one, sentimentality is always a powerful uh, force. But two, the perception people have that, uh, you know, you go to a, a, I'll say a McDonald's or a Wendy's, and there's no one behind the counter, or you have to use a kiosk. You, uh, if you're going somewhere, you have a choice between maybe one airline, or two, and they're both kind of flying greyhounds. You get all these feelings of people saying, look, these things aren't great. I'm spending more for it. And it's a sense of that the the quality and a sense competency of this nation has gone down. Um, and I'll, I'll circle back to where if you look at the Biden approval ratings, and if you put a you know a time axis out there and you chart the, the major inflection points, a, a significant one still remains. And really where you saw the beginning of the downturn in Biden's approval is the withdrawal from Afghanistan. And while that's not an economic uh, event, it again fed into this perception among the American public looking at the headlines that the, the, the administration is incompetent, the U.S. isn't what it once was. All these things are, again, f- affecting the mood and sentiment of a, of a public that is fed up with their politician choices, too. So all of this uh, combines, and then you have the, the specific case, as you said, of the White House, where you just don't have folks who are used to communicating in economic terms, quite frankly. So all of that comes together in ways that this, one, Biden has to uh, fight against public sentiment, uh, but two, he he's just, again, as you say, not getting that message out. The message isn't getting out at all. Uh, the message, I think, uh, that yes, Afghanistan things change, and we somehow are very aware of every gaffe, every, I guess, uh, moment of frailty uh, that's that uh, evidenced by the president. And, and it, it, this messaging from the White House and from the Democratic Party is just Awful. I'm not being partisan here, folks. I'm not being partisan. Uh, go ahead, send me cards and letters. I get them anyway. But uh, I'm just telling you, this is a really bad sales job. I know something about sales. I really do. And this is a lousy sales job. You can't sell this good news. You got a problem. And remember what James Carville said it's the economy, stupid. It's the economy, stupid. But you've got to sell it. You've got to mm-hmm. tell people that the economy's good. So, unemployment is low. Inflation is coming down. Uh, now, look, cumulative inflation, and I wrote this week, and if you want to get a copy of my newsletter, hjennings at farmmiller.com, hjennings at farmmiller.com, or hjennings at hightoweradvisors.com. Both emails work for Harry. Uh, he'll, he'll put you on our, 
our, our list. But I wrote about the cumulative inflation, meaning, Dan, that when prices at the supermarket go up, they don't come back down. And what we're saying when the rate of inflation is falling, uh, the rate of inflation, meaning it's not going up as fast. Well, hell, you've got to start somewhere. It was going up at 9%. Prices were going up at 9%. Now they're going up at 3.5%. And that's not awful when you compare it to 9 If you're the guy going to the store and you say, my prices are still going up. Yes, they are incrementally. Are they going up uh, faster than your income? Yes. Incomes are going up, but not as fast as prices. So does it still feel bad out there as the consumer? Has the consumer lost purchasing power over the last three or four years? Yes. Yes. And maybe that's the, the, that maybe that's the real gripe. Uh, I feel it. And do rich people feel it? Yes, but not the same. Why? Because they can afford to pay the higher price. They don't have to make a decision not to buy fresh vegetables and only frozen vegetables. Uh, rich people don't have to do that. So once again, the folks who take it most in the neck are those who are most economically vulnerable. That's why we say inflation is toughest on the poor, on the lower middle class. These are the folks who suffer, and they're also paying higher rents, most of them, though some of those are coming down too. So Dan, if I made you, uh, gave, gave you all magical powers, what would you change domestically for Joe Biden to get his message out? How would they do it? Because the, the headlines are getting out. Uh, Biden come out and, and went with Bidenomics and everybody thinks Bidenomics are bad. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I'm ready to go to Madison Avenue and hire you know, the best advertising firms out there and say, get this done because my mm -hmm. in-house people stink. Yeah, I think part of it is one, getting the, uh, you know, defining the terms of what success is. Bidenomics is already a term used uh, disparagingly about his policies. I'm not quite sure why they embraced it, thinking they could uh, rebrand the first perception of it. Two, I don't think they are explaining the, the benefits you're seeing, although you do see uh, you certainly see uh, Biden just yesterday, in, of all places, Lauren Boebert's district in Colorado, talking about a, a wind turbine factory that's providing jobs in a place like that, that hadn't seen manufacturing for some time. So getting out on the road is important. But as you say, it's a, it's a challenge uh, with his frailty. Uh, and then finally, I think it, it's it's understated and they, they haven't done a good job of it, although I will uh, compliment uh, Secretary of Transportation Buttigieg on this, is that they recently have finally been explaining to consumers uh, at the holiday seasons, and there's videos of him on TikTok and social media explaining that the, the new rules that the Biden administration put in place with airlines, for example, means that you get a, a free hotel room with a cancellation, a, a meal voucher, things that the airlines are required to give you because of action the administration took. Uh, that's a clear way of saying we are doing things and using the tools and powers that we have to help you uh, in dealing with these things. That is something that they haven't done, though, very well in many other areas. I used to listen to George W. Bush, uh, of whom I am fond. I like uh, President Bush. Uh, he's a very nice guy. He's got a wicked sense of humor. Uh, and uh, through 9-11 and other things, I think uh, I, I admired him a great deal. But when I would listen to him give certain speeches where he'd put his foot flat in his mouth, I would sit and think, you know, one of the things I can do, ladies and gentlemen, or think I can do, maybe this is just hubris, is talk. 
I can give a speech. I can't give a speech. I can give a good speech. I can't do what Barack Obama can do. Now that son of a gun can talk. I'm telling you, that man can talk. But George Bush really couldn't. And I used to think, geez, you know, Mr. President, let me give the speech. Would you let me give the speech? I promise. I promise people will like you more after I give the speech than after you give the speech. I feel the way about Biden. I want to get up there and say, hey, America, your gas prices are coming down. Your wages have gone up. We're producing oil. We're getting it done. Most every American out there who wants a job has a job and employers want more employees. These are the problems that we need to face in this country, not the problems of the other party. I mean, I can make this sale and tell you why you need to feel good about yourself. And then you shift, Dan Mahaffey. You shift as quickly as you can and you take on that dulcet Ronald Reagan tone and you talk about America as a place of hope, as a beacon of light. Of as a place of honor, of aspiration, of growth, of goals, of goodness, of that shining city upon a hill to which we and the rest of the world aspire because they should, because it's noble and right and just. And this is where we need to go. And this is the leadership I'm going to provide. What? Who the hell doesn't get that? I mean, uh, well, I'm going to go put in back. the far papers now in Iowa now to file for your uh, stump speech there because. Gee, many Christmas. I mean, is it that hard? That was off the cuff in two seconds. I don't have a note in front of me, for God's sakes. Hell, if I can do that sitting at my desk here in Naples, Florida, who the hell do they have in the White House? Well, I think one, Michael, you you put it. What you do is you have one, and what we hear what you say is again the message is lost because in the in the political environment now, it's such a echo chamber to your own party in some ways, and it's less about uh, building up America as you say, and more about the the horrors of the other side and what they're doing and whether. And I get it, I get it, and I'm frustrated by it because I know that we are, we all are. I mean, yes, that's how they're screwing it up. But what I and then the said, other thing is, I again, we we in our audience are unique among the among the public because otherwise, when you when you start talking about economic numbers and rates and things like that, you will watch in a focus group or an audience eyes glaze over. And as you said it, you, it's not it's those succinct points of what are the benefits? More oil, more money in your wallet, all those things that again they find it hard to say because everything is so politically honed and message that you can't say it like it is. I have one minute left, Dan. Uh, give me your take on why uh, somehow the U.S. public and press has become pro-Hamas after and pro-Palestinian after Hamas went in unannounced and surprised and slaughtered a bunch of Israelis. Why is there such anti-Israeli sentiment, anti-Semitism? I got one minute. Tell me, Dan. Look, I think, uh, again, I'll get back to echo chambers. You see some powerful ones that have grown on campuses and media uh, about the situation in the Middle East and Middle East politics, and you now have those those voices there. I think the, the imagery, though, and even when you talk to some U.S. military leaders who will say, look, there were the horrors of what Hamas did, and you you cannot forget those, but uh, proportionality remains important in conflict and in the response, and there's there's worries about what Israel has done in response. Dan Mahaffey is the policy director for the Center of the Study of the Presidency in Congress. Our 
senior political analyst on the Farcast. Dan, thank you very much. And we'll talk to you again next week. We always learn so much from you. Thank you. Good to talk to you. Take care, Michael. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be back with Dr. Jay Bryson, chief economist at Wells Fargo. Does he think the economy's good and is it still going to slow down? He thought so over the past few months. We're going to find out when we come back on the Farcast. Please stay with us. Michael Farr and the Farcast are proud to support Heroes, Inc. Heroes supports the spouses and children of law enforcement officers and firefighters who gave their lives in the line of duty to the greater Washington, D.C. community. Their singular goal is to honor the supreme sacrifice made by these individuals by caring for their families. Heroes' work begins within 24 hours of the tragic loss and continues indefinitely. We invite you to learn more about Heroes' mission at heroes.org. We hope that you will consider supporting Heroes as they endeavor to honor those who protect us. That's heroes.org. Heroes, here for you, here for good. And now, back to the Farcast and your host, Michael Farr. We hope you're enjoying this week's edition of the Farcast. Please share us with friends and colleagues. And now, back to your host, Michael Farr. Welcome back to the Farcast as we cover Wall Street, Washington, and the world, bringing you some of the greatest minds from around the globe to provide you insights and a new approach and perspective as we try to discover and understand what's going on in the world around us and what it's going to mean to investors. We turn to a Farcast favorite, one of my great longtime friends, Dr. Jay Bryson, Managing Director, Chief Economist at Wells Fargo. He was an economist at the Federal Reserve in Washington, D.C., adjunct professor at Johns Hopkins University uh, in the School of uh, International Studies, actually, and an adjunct uh, professor also at Georgetown University, professor of economics. This very smart guy gets all of this. But the, uh, the great thing about Jay Bryson, uh, beyond being very nice, is that he speaks English. He really does. You understand what the hell he's talking about. And that's not true of many economists. Welcome back, Jay. Well, thank you, Michael. It's always a pleasure to be back. I guess the I guess the uh, I guess the other thing I left out Maggie. I should never leave out Maggie. <laughs> no, don't great, do that. No. Best best thing about Jay Bryson is Maggie Bryson. I want to tell you right now. Okay, Jay, we've been talking about why the economy's so good and everybody hates it. This is the most hated, really good economy we've had in a long time. Why? I think what it has to deal with, Michael, is the big run-up we've seen in prices over the last few years. Now, the inflation rate, the rate of change uh, right now is actually pretty good. It's it's not back to the Fed's 2% target, but it's certainly moving back that way. But I think most people, you know, when they think about prices, they, they don't really distinguish between the price level and the rate of change. And they know that relative to three years ago, prices are up considerably, you know. And so, yes, inflation is coming back down, but prices are, remain very high. And it's just face it, 
prices of most goods and services are not going back to where they were three years ago. I mean, and you, you don't really want that. That's deflation. You, you know, I talked know about that in my market commentary piece today, which is really more of an economic commentary piece for this week. Um, but yeah, I, I, that's what I've said. You know, as prices go up, uh, they don't come back down. Your rent might come off a little bit, but basically those landlords are going to keep that rent high. The cost of, as you were saying before we went on air, the price of a dozen eggs, it's still up. Now, gasoline prices are down and wages are indeed up and employment is pretty full and the uh, oil and energy production, oil production in the U.S. is high. It's higher than it was under the Trump administration, which is why I would fire every PR person that Joe Biden has. Uh, but to your point, I think, you're, you're saying that Americans don't feel really good about what is really a good economy because they're paying more for stuff and they realize that the wage gains they've gotten aren't really keeping up with the new prices they're facing. Is that what you're saying? Well, no, I'm just saying, so when, in terms of the wage gains, when we do look at real disposable income, so that's your income after in inflation-adjusted terms and um, after taxes. Another way to talk about that is purchasing power. Real disposable income is trending higher again. And, 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 and just look at what's happening to consumer spending. Con con uh, people continue to go out and spend. I, as an economist, tend to look more at what people do rather than what they say when I'm trying yeah. to measure what's going on in the economy. But I just think it's the psychological thing, right? Prices went up very fast, very, you know, very, very quickly. We haven't experienced that in most, many Americans haven't experienced that ever, right? I mean, the last time we saw high inflation, Michael, you and I were a lot younger than we are today, right? Back in, in the early, early 1980s. So many Americans haven't experienced that sort of inflation. And that came as a psychological shock to them they still look at where prices are today and they say, geez, they're significantly higher. This economy's crappy. And uh, I, I think that's kind of what's what's going on. Prices are higher. The economy's crappy. I still think they're doing a lousy sales job on it, but I, I, I totally get it. And disposable income going up. Are you worried about these credit card balances? Are you worried about these buy now, pay later? I was reading about uh, people who are starting to do the buy now, pay later thing for groceries. I mean, that really scares me when I see Americans making those sorts of decisions. Credit card balance is over a trillion dollars in the U.S. What do you make of the debt that we're taking on in order to maintain our spending? Do I lay awake at night right now worrying about that? No. I mean, I guess what I would say, Michael, is that we are seeing cracks in terms of the consumer, right? We are seeing credit card debt rising pretty significantly. Now, it's still relative to disposable income. It's still at relatively manageable sort of levels. We've been higher before in that sort of ratio. Um, but we are seeing cracks. You know, the, the delinquencies on credit cards are rising. Delinquencies on, on auto loans are also starting to rise. Um, but in general, when I look at the financial health of the overall consumer sector today, in aggregate, it's pretty good. Um, if you look at the debt to income ratio, it's about 100%. Right before the financial crisis, it was at 130%. Um, if you look at other metrics in terms of cash flow about what consumers can spend um, you know, relative to what their obligations are, those metrics are all really pretty good. It's not saying that every consumer out there is in pristine health. I mean, that's never true. 
right? But when you look at it in aggregate, the financial health of the consumer sector today is actually pretty good. You, you know, you said when we first started here, you talked about my bio, you talked about how I used to be a professor of economics. So I know how to give letter grades. If I had to give a letter grade to the financial health of the household sector today, it's probably a solid B. Now, a solid maybe, B. That's really good because, you know, when you got to- I know when you were in college, Michael, a solid B was really good, right? So let me tell you something. My favorite story is uh, is Fred Smith's when they, when, you know, he drew up the design, the whole business plan for FedEx as a Harvard School business product project. And I was, I was at lunch with Fred years ago and this, someone asked and they said, did you really, were you really given a C? Did you really get a C for the whole FedEx business design? And he said, you know, I get asked that all the time. It's really kind of folklore. And they, they said, yes or no. And he goes, okay, fine. Yes is the answer, but what people don't understand is that the C was not a bad grade for me. <laughs> it's, <laughs> all, it's all relative, isn't it? It's all relative. It, you know, charming guy. B, you're damn right. B was a great grade. Uh, and by and you know every every teacher I ever uh, ever had has lost twenty dollars on me. Honest to God, they were thinking, no, 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 no. Far would be doing time. Uh, you know, and not on a golf course, uh, you know, unless it may be a minimum security place. Some of those have nine whole things. All right. Uh, so, Jay, the economy's in good shape. Uh, we seem to be in this period where the in rate of inflation is coming down. People have jobs. All of this, the data are looking pretty good. And yet people are still expecting, a lot of economists still expecting recession. In fact, our economist, Keith Davis, by the way, I think he's excellent, and I'm sure I'm prejudiced some, but I'm, I'm a tough grader. If we're going to go back to grades, I'm a tough grader because um, not only he's worked for me for 20 years, but what happens to me in public relies a lot on his research and what he's telling me to do. And if he makes me look bad, I'm not forgiving. Uh, he doesn't make me look bad. He's saying we're in a Goldilocks phase. And here's Keith's point. We always pass through a Goldilocks phase before we hit a down leg. Everything's always just fine for a while. And he believes that these persistently higher interest rates uh, established by the Fed have created a headwind to the economy, enough of a stomp on the brakes on economic growth, if you will, that it will lead to a more significant slowdown as these hikes even of the past six months ago, continue to show their effect in the next six months, and he continues to expect a recession for those reasons. Do you agree with him? Is he right? And do you expect we'll hit recession? Uh, that still is our base case that there is a modest downturn. Now, I don't feel a great deal of conviction about that. What I, what I have a stronger conviction on is we are looking at a number of quarters in 2024 in which growth will be lousy at best. And it's because of, of what you're just talking about there, the, the high interest rates that we have. What, what really matters for the real economy, what really matters for real economic growth at the end of the day is not where that nominal interest rate is. So the Fed funds rate in nominal terms is roughly five and a half percent. It's the real rate. It's that rate minus inflation. And what's happening, we talked about this earlier, is inflation is coming down. The nominal interest rate is staying high. So what's happening is the real interest rate is rising. Even though the Fed's on hold right now, 
there's a passive tightening of monetary policy that's going on. And that's going to lead to, you use the word headwinds, that's yeah. going to lead to headwinds to real economic growth in early 2024. Again, whether we have an actual downturn or not, it's very difficult to know at this point. But I think at best, growth in the first few quarters of 2024 is going to be lousy. Let's call okay, it so 1% things, or less. So things, what did you say, percent or less? 1% or less. 1% uh, or less. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, all right. Uh, so what you're telling me is the patient uh, is going to get sick. The patient is not going to feel well, but the patient may not be hospitalized. And uh, this group, the NBER, will they actually call this thing a recession, Jay? So first of all, if they do, they're not going to do that for quite some time, probably 2025. They wait until they see all the revised data and yada, yada, yada. If we do have a recession, I think it will be one of the mildest recessions that we have experienced. Um, but again, we're not going to know. We will, if we go into recession, we will be out of the recession before the NBER, the National Bureau of Economic Research, declares we were in one. So if I'm Jay Powell and my job is price stability and full employment, uh, am I doing a victory lap now? You know, I think it's too early to start doing that. They've got one of the things, full employment. We're actually probably above full employment at this point. So they would actually kind of want to, you know, slow the labor market down, bring the unemployment rate up a little bit so you get some wage moderation. I I, I think it's it's still a little bit too early to declare victory in terms of inflation. We're not so, quite uh, pe we're people not quite are calling, there. you know, for the Fed to cut rates and they're 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 breathless about when the Fed's going to cut rates. And I continue to make the point, you don't want the Fed to cut rates. They don't do that just to make sure stock prices are going to keep going up. They do that to keep the economy from collapsing and slowing down and going into recession again. So if we go through one of these things uh, and the Fed has to do, does the Fed have to do anything? Will they cut rates in 2024? Uh, or do you think that perhaps they've gotten it so right that they can continue to sit on the sidelines and let the economy work itself out. No, I think they definitely will be cutting rates next year. The question is by how much, right? So if we go into recession next year, um, even if it's a modest one, the Fed will be cutting a lot next year, more than what's a priced lot. in the A lot. What, what's priced into markets right now is about 100 basis points of rate cuts next year. If we go into a recession next year, you're looking at more than that. You're probably looking at two to 250. Or something like that. But but even if we don't go into recession, as long as inflation continues to come down, remember that thing we're talking about, the real interest rate, right? In order to keep the real interest rate constant, and if inflation's falling, the Fed has to be cutting rates next year, yes. or else they're going to be tightening monetary policy. So I think one way or another, you're going to see the Fed tightening, or sorry, easing next year. If the Fed's on hold next year, I would say that's not, if they keep the rate at 550, that's not good because that means inflation's not coming down. Mm. Um, and that's not good in the long run. Give me your best bet then, Jay. Uh, 100 basis points in cuts or 200, 250 basis I'll, points in cuts? So I'll take the over on 100. Would I take the over on 200 to 250? No, I probably, you know, knowing what I know right now, I think I would 
probably take the under on that. So I'm going to say somewhere between 100 to 200, depending on how the economy transitions next year. But I think 100 is kind of a minimum what we're looking at next year. So if you looking at that scenario, why wouldn't I back up the truck and make sure I buy stocks now? Okay, so so I'm not a market strategist. I'm not I'm not you. So I'm going to let you know. I I'm not going to answer that question directly. But what I would say is, um, a hundred basis points of rate cuts are already priced into the market at this point. Um, and, and so, but you know, in, in general, I do believe that it, it is the economy half empty or half full right now in terms of the glass. In general, I think the economy is half full, uh, right? We may have a period of subtrend growth next year, but when I look at the underlying fundamentals of the U.S. economy today, they're actually it's pretty good. Dr. Jay Bryson, thank you so much for being with us. I always learn so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Dr. Bryson is chief economist at Wells Fargo. Uh, was an adjunct professor, of course, uh, at Georgetown uh, University, Johns Hopkins University, uh, and worked as an economist at the Federal Reserve in Washington, D.C., and has been my great friend for many years. Thank you, Jay. Thank you, Michael. Please tell Lori we said uh, we said hi. Get our, our, give her our best. And uh, happy holidays to you and your, and your family. Thank you. Thank you. And to you and yours and Maggie, and it's just, yeah, Please, please to everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, that's it for another forecast as we cover Wall Street, Washington, and the world here on November 30th, coming into the last month of the year. We're going to take a break next week because I'm going to be traveling. Uh, I'll try and get perhaps an abbreviated forecast in. I'm going to try, but we'll certainly be back the following week. For all of us at the forecast, Farm Miller in Washington, Hightower Advisors, our producer Harry Jennings, and me. Thanks so much. Thanks for sharing on social media. Thousands more listeners. We really appreciate it. Keep the cards and letters coming. We answer them. I'm very grateful to each of you. And I'm Michael Farr. We'll see you next week. That's a wrap for this week's episode of The Farcast. Thanks to our guests, Kenny Polcari, Dan Mahaffey, and special guest this week, Chief Economist from Wells Fargo, Dr. Jay Bryson. And thanks to you, our listeners. We are grateful for your support, and we hope that you enjoy the show as much as we enjoy making it for you. Please be aware that any time we or any of our guests mention a specific company, sector, or refer to performance in relation to an earnings report, news headline, or economic trend, it is not a recommendation to buy or sell. Review the risks and reward of any investment with your financial advisor for what specific investment and general strategy is appropriate for you before you make any investment decision. As always, if we can be of assistance at Farm Miller in Washington, please reach out to me at hjennings at farmmiller.com. We are here to help, and I'm happy to arrange for any of our listeners an appointment with one of our financial professionals to review your portfolio, your needs, and your goals. And, depending on his schedule, I may even be able to have Michael review your portfolio personally. Farcast is produced by Michael Farr and Harry Jennings and comes to you weekly on all major podcast platforms, including Google, Spotify, TuneIn, and Apple Podcasts. You can stream past episodes as well as subscribe so you never miss a new one. We love reading all of your notes and we try to reply to as many as we can. 
You can reach us at hjennings at farmmiller.com. Let us know any questions you have about past episodes or questions you'd like us to answer in upcoming shows. Michael is traveling next week, but we will try to have a bonus episode and a quick update available for you. We do have a regularly scheduled episode upcoming in two weeks on December 14th. Special guest, Farcast fan favorite, Jenny Harrington. Take care, stay safe, and stay healthy. Thanks for listening to the Farcast. Wall Street, Washington, and the world. Farm Miller in Washington is a group comprised of investment professionals registered with Hightower Advisors, LLC, and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Some investment professionals may also be registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. All information referenced herein is from sources believed to be reliable. Farm Miller in Washington and Hightower Advisors, LLC have not independently verify the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast. Farm Miller in Washington and Hightower Advisors LLC and any of its affiliates make no representations or warranties expressed or implied as to the accuracy or completeness of the information or for statements or errors or omissions or results obtained from the use of this information. Farm Miller in Washington and Hightower Advisors LLC and any of its affiliates assume no liability or any action made or taken in reliance on or relating in any way to the information. This podcast and the materials contained herein were created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the authors and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates. Farm Miller & Washington and Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented in any way to any entity as tax or legal advice. Clients are urged to consult their tax and or legal advisors for related questions.